0: Welcome to the Alliance Party After Dark, a podcast for the politically aware brought to you by the Alliance Party. Content for this episode was recorded on Monday, February 10, 2020. And a good evening to you. I'm Dan Schaefer, producer of the podcast. This evening, we're talking with Philip Fuhrer, the chair of the Independence Alliance Party of Minnesota, as well as the Alliance Party state chair, and Ben Tomey, the state party director for the Independence Alliance Party of Minnesota. Now, just to be clear, the Independence Alliance Party of Minnesota is its own independent party that has been around since 1992. It was originally known as the Independence Party of Minnesota, but last year joined with the Alliance Party and thus became part of a nationwide political movement. The Independence Party of Minnesota was originally established when a group of Minnesota citizens decided to create a brand new political party, These citizens were not part of the political elite or captains of industry or members of the idle rich looking to fill some time. On the contrary, they were ordinary citizens whose disgust with constant budget deficits, big money special interest influence, and extreme ideological dominance forced them into action. Their main objective is to give Minnesotans a true voice in their government. Philip Fuhrer joined the Independence Party back in 1995 and served in several roles, including state platform chair, congressional district chair, treasurer, state constitution bylaws chair, and state director. He wrote much of the party constitution and bylaws when he first joined back in '95, much of which is still in use by the party today. Ben Tomey has been active in the Independence Party of Minnesota since 2004. He served as the state party secretary, the 3rd Congressional District Vice Chair, and 3rd Congressional District Secretary. He also ran for the Minnesota House of Representatives for the Independence Party. Gentlemen, welcome to the Alliance Party After Dark, and thank you for joining us this evening.
1: Thank you for having us. Thank you, Dan. Good to be here. So
0: I'm going to just start off with some informal discussion here. Um, um, and I'm going to direct this one to you, Philip. Since you have been with the uh, Independence Party of Minnesota for uh, the longest period of time, could you give us a brief history of the Independence Alliance Party of Minnesota?
1: Yeah, you, I mean, you you covered some of the genesis of our start. Uh, we we formed out of the Ross Perot movement uh, in 1992 in his presidential run. Uh, Dean Barkley, who uh, is a prominent figure uh, in our uh, party's formation. Uh, ran for Congress as an independent that year, uh, getting, I believe it was 17%, and following that and and Perot's uh, decent performance, a great performance for uh, an alternative candidate, third-party candidate, the folks got together and decided to form the Independence Party. Uh, in '94, Dean Barkley ran as the U.S. Senate candidate for the Independence Party. He got a little over five percent. That got us major party status, uh, which, with that, in Minnesota, comes ballot access and and some other uh, benefits. In '96, Perot ran for president again, and we affiliated with the National Reform Party. We changed our name at that time from Independence Party to Reform Party. That lasted until uh, Pat Buchanan sort of uh, tanked the Reform Party in, 2000, in the 2000 elections and, and took over. And we, uh, we bolted, we unaffiliated, went back to Independence Party and uh, worked our way through uh, up until 2019 when we affiliated with the new uh, Alliance Party. And we're, we're happy to be here, happy to uh, get some critical mass and some momentum going. And create a viable third option here for the country.
0: Um, and and so Ben, Ben, tell me, you've been um, involved in the Alliance Party since I believe it was two thousand five. That's correct. Okay, so you've uh, you've been around the block a few times. You've seen quite a bit. Um, I'd like to direct this question to you. And this is something that's uh, sort of piqued my curiosity when I was reading about the Independence Party of Minnesota. Um, uh, Jesse Ventura is a name that comes up and everybody thinks, oh, yes, my governor can beat up your governor. Um, but he was he was part of the independent movement in Minnesota. But now when I read uh, you know, uh, articles about him, they say something about um, the independent movement in, in Minnesota being considered to be in the doghouse. Uh, can you give me some context of that?
2: Well, I guess I have not seen that article, so it's hard for me to— uh, direct towards any specifics, but uh, there's a lot of things at play, one of which just in general is a simple fact that we have not gotten a governor elected since Jesse Ventura, and that's going to hurt any party uh, Mm -hmm. to some extent or another. And then, of course, the polarizations that we had. Now, Jesse Ventura himself has a colorful reputation, if we can say that he he kind of ran out of the mouth a couple times, um, I should say a couple times, quite a lot, and um, but he he did have an you know objectively a relatively good run policy wise he had good policies he had probably one of the best um, cabinets that the state has ever had and he has done what I don't think anyone has ever done in modern history or ever possibly is he got the Democrats and the Republicans to work together. Now admittedly, they were working together against him, Mm -hmm. but what came out of that, you know, potentially uh, infighting between the two parties and Ventura were moderate reasonable laws and regulations. So As much as he can be ridiculed, uh, and I myself will lay a lot of negatives at his feet, but he did a lot of good, and I think he was a very good governor.
0: I I think also that the fact that he—from what I understand, when he ran his campaign there in Minnesota, he was um, not nearly as financially— uh, backed as the other two main parties, the Democrats and the Republicans. I, I don't remember the number. I think it was something like $300,000 or something. And, and um, I think just due to his sheer personality, he was able to um, get all the publicity he needed and uh, ran a very effective campaign and squeaked by uh, the uh, the win. But, you know, what? what I find very interesting is that the whole nation took notice of him, and they, you know, and it was it was a sign to the rest of the nation that, hey, look, you know, an independent person, uh, you know, given it enough, um, um, I don't know, maybe flamboyance or, you know, just given enough uh, attention, can actually pull this off. And I think that was a, a very good a very good sign for the rest of the country, honestly.
1: Dan, this is Phil. It, it is a good sign, and it does show that. Alternative candidates, third-party candidates can win elections, and and you've seen it in other places, too. Uh, Angus King out in Maine, uh, Lowell Weicker uh, back over in Massachusetts actually formed uh, what was called, or I'm sorry, Connecticut, formed a a Connecticut party uh, for a while. Uh, Bernie Sanders is uh, uh, an independent or has been elected as an independent. So it can happen. Uh, to, to reference your earlier question on the doghouse, I think you might be referencing a 2018 uh, article that came out right before the election, on an Associated Press article mm-hmm. that uh, talked about the third parties being in the doghouse. And, and I think that was in reference, or the Independence Party being in the doghouse, I think that was in reference to uh, us having lost major party status in 2014. So we... Uh, We gained that major party status uh, in the 94 election. We held on to it for 20 years, and then our candidates uh, didn't perform as well. We actually ended up about 1,300 votes short in 2014 and then got knocked down to uh, minor party status, we call it here in Minnesota.
0: Well, what's the difference Uh, between the two uh,
1: In Minnesota, the difference between major and minor party status, major party gives you automatic ballot access. A minor party has to petition to get on the ballot. Mm-hmm. And uh, we have a partial public campaign finance system in the state, and there's a a party-specific account or, or version of that piece of that that we do still qualify, minor or major party or uh, parties qualify for that. And then there's what's called a general campaign fund, and only major parties qualify for that. And the unfortunate side of the house is that the general piece is five or six times larger than the party piece.
0: Ah, okay. I guess if you lose ballot access, the only way to regain would be to um, survive a, uh, a petition drive that, uh, from what I understand, you have to get, uh, uh, if, if the minimum petition number is, say, 10,000, you would probably want to get at least 17,000. You want to exceed the 10,000 just so that you could withstand any sort of challenges against it.
1: Yeah, every every state, as you mentioned, every state's different. In Minnesota, if you were to go the petition route, you would actually need about 115 or 120 thousand signatures. Wow! And you've got to collect those over. You have to collect those over a a, a rolling 12 month period. It's not uh, not something easy to do. There's, the easier way is to have a statewide candidate uh, break five percent, hmm. uh, and and we've been able to do that several times. Uh, in 2014, as I said, we came up 1,300 votes short, which was one tenth of a percent. And in uh, 2018, we ended up being nine-tenths of a percent short uh, of achieving that. So we're hoping here in 2020 with a a U.S. Senate candidate, we may be able to do that. And if not a U.S. Senate candidate, let's see if the Alliance Party can't get a presidential candidate, and we'll do it that way.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's really hard. I don't know if uh, you've—we had an interview with Ralph Nader some time ago, uh, two or three weeks ago, and uh, he recommended that— I read uh, this book by Teresa Amato, and she talked – she was his uh, campaign manager for uh, the 2000 and 2004 presidential um, election. And this book is just full of, of war stories, uh, really um, negative stories really about you know what the, the dirty tricks that the established uh, uh, parties do. Uh, in this case, it was actually the Democrats that were fighting more than the Republicans – and uh some of the dirty tricks they pull to uh you know, challenge every single signature on your on your petition, um, and just uh fight you tooth and nail in, in court and out of court. It's just uh, it's quite an arduous process. And she was trying to take it on uh this process uh in all fifty states plus uh four territories. So it was it was it was
2: uh Well so- it is in the best interest of the two major parties to block out any competition. It, it takes away from them. Just yeah, like, yeah. You know, in business.
0: Have you guys, uh, sure. do you guys, I'm sure you have your war stories as well, with the uh, Democrats and Republicans sort of closing ranks to prevent uh, anybody from penetrating the fortress?
2: Well, myself, uh, when I ran for a state representative, um, the then Secretary of State used a relatively, well, I shouldn't even say relative, it was a very obscure law. Um, overseeing the uh, primaries, and used that to strike me off the ballot, and that went to the state supreme court. And the surprisingly enough, at the time, the attorney general uh, pretty much walked up and said, "Yeah, this law is indefensible." Wow. And so it, they threw it out, thankfully, and so I was able to get on the ballot. But it's things like that that happen every day.
0: Yeah. You kind of wonder, I mean, if you're really um, a politician that has, you know, your constituents' best interest at heart, why would you be compelled to uh, remove uh, voices and choices from uh, the people? It's, it's kind of amazing. So... What so? Uh, I guess that was Ben. You're, I was, you were just talking about your your run for the state representative. Yeah. Okay, okay. Is that? Uh, do you, have you ever talked to anybody else that's tried to do the same thing? Perhaps either in Minnesota or outside of Minnesota that has similar types of experiences.
2: Um, not not terribly. I mean, we, luckily Minnesotans are well known for fair play, um, so we don't have a a a ton of horror stories within the state. Um, And I unfortunately don't have that much conversation outside. But, you know, when I ran that year, it was pretty much all of our candidates was lumped into that obscure law. And and so a lot of us were wondering what's going to happen now. And so that always puts you in a bit of a, a, a scary situation, a feeling of unfairness. And kind of gets you angry. Yeah. But uh, luckily the system worked for us and I believe for the people. Um, The other thing I think, unlike maybe some of the other third parties, uh, both within the state and outside the state, the Independence Party, now Independence Alliance, has enjoyed a, a fairly positive opinion throughout most of Minnesota. I mean, some of the stalwarts on either side, the right or the left, uh, you know, run that tired argument of you're stealing votes from us or you cause the other person to win, you know, that kind of
0: stuff. Yeah, the spoiler argument. But for the most part, we
2: have a fairly positive uh, opinion uh, statewide and also with the media. Media, even as we have gone into minor party status, has still treated us with, more respect than say some of the other third parties, and and um, hmm. we believe that it is how we ran, how we did business, the people we put forward, that gave us that respect.
0: Well, I was going to try to get pick your brains a little bit. Uh, perhaps Philip, you might want to comment on this in, in terms of like some of the things that can be used to mitigate these barriers for third-party candidates. There's a lot of talk these days about. Uh, For example, ranked choice voting Um, that's actually being implemented in several different places. New York City, I believe the entire state of Maine is uh, adapting or adopting it at this point. Um, There's this other concept called multi-winner congressional districts, uh, gerrymandering elimination. Are there any of these uh, activities or is there any... um, Anything going on up in Minnesota uh, regarding these uh, ideas of mitigating barriers of entry?
1: Yeah, on on the the entry side of the House, we are strong supporters of Ranked Choice Voting uh, here in the uh, Independence Alliance and work with Fair Vote Minnesota, uh, our local uh, Ranked Choice Voting experts uh, here in the state. We have Ranked Choice Voting in St. Paul Municipal Elections, Minneapolis Municipal Elections, the two, two largest cities in Minnesota. Uh, St. Louis Park, which is a large uh, Minneapolis suburb, just adopted it and held their first election with ranked choice. And uh, there's a big push down in Rochester, which is, I think, the third largest uh, city, fourth largest city, top four, top five city here in Minnesota. Uh, So ranked choice voting is is alive and well here uh, in Minnesota, and we're behind it all the way. a great opportunity to let people uh, vote their hopes rather than their fears. Yeah. For those folks that aren't familiar with with ranked choice, it it uh, you you cast your first round vote, and if nobody has reached a majority, fifty percent or more, then the last place candidates, you look at their voters and you reallocate to their second choices, and you keep doing various rounds until somebody uh, wins the election. Yeah, uh, it's a great opportunity for, uh, as I said, folks to vote their hopes rather than their fears. And that means uh, that independent candidates, third-party candidates, alternative candidates have a better shot at winning because you're not, you, as a voter, you don't have to go in and say, I love candidate Y, but candidate Y I don't think can win. And I, and I think if candidate Z wins, it's the end of the world. So I've got to vote for candidate A because candidate A is the only one that can be candidate Z. Uh, so it, it starts to get rid of that dynamic.
2: Well, rank choice voting does exist here in Minnesota and in some key locations, we still have a struggle because only a handful of cities have the right, currently by law, to mm-hmm. take up ranked choice voting. Um, my city that I live in, in Blaine, that city does not have that right. If, even if they wanted to, they could not choose to do that because of the state law. And so that has been something we've been working with our state legislatures. Uh, we have a few people that uh, actually sit down and will talk to us. Um, and we've been trying to get that uh, expanded so that any municipality can choose to if they want. In Minnesota, that's
1: called the the local options bill. Uh, so so what Ben referenced was uh, a charter cities in Minnesota, which there are only 10 or 12, uh, can currently adopt ranked choice voting if they wanted to. Local options would allow any, any uh, municipality to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it is spreading, I think. I think it's, mm-hmm. it's starting to spread a little bit. Uh, another uh, uh, mitigating barrier, we're working with the Libertarian Party on uh, legislation. We, we submitted a bill with them and uh, the Green Party and actually our, our two marijuana parties here in Minnesota. Last year, it didn't go anywhere. Uh, But uh, there was a clause that was uh, reacted to a bit negatively, so we have uh, amended that clause. And uh, in another couple of weeks here, I believe on the 20th of February, uh, the Libertarian Party is going to be reintroducing that with a Republican state senator and a Democratic state representative to uh, see if we can't uh, lower some of the uh, criteria on petition requirements. Uh, both in terms of signatures needed, as well as the time frame to collect those in, and uh, lowering that five percent threshold for major party status seems we can't drop that down. Okay. Uh, along with a few other good government good government measures, so we're working on that too.
0: How do you um, how do you approach a legislator from one of the big parties about that? Because I've always wondered about that. That's um, you know I was talking about Teresa Amato before. That's one of the uh, potential solutions that she suggested in her book. And I'm like, well, okay. If they're already the party in power, and they would want to solidify their power, how do you talk them into, you know, uh, just going into something, something like ranked choice voting or, or gerrymandering elimination or something like that?
2: The idea there is to build relationships. I mean, you need to have relationships with these people before they get into power, because if you just walk up to them and while they're in their uh, congressional, not congressional seat, but state house seat or state senate seat, they're not likely to give you as much credence mm-hmm. um, just because they don't see you as helpful to them. Right. But uh, we, we have worked to develop some relationships. Uh, the Democrat in particular, we, have, we had worked with uh, in the past while he was a uh, council member for um, the third largest city, Bloomington, Minnesota. And uh, <clears throat> when he became a uh, sitting representative, we had the, the right, so to speak, to sit down and have a conversation with him. And he listened to us and liked what we had to say. He's basically a like-minded uh, person in, in, in these kind of ways, so that helps. Um, the Republican, the Libertarian uh, uh, Party, was the one who had the connections with him because he, he much like Rand Paul, was mostly a libertarian, but uh, ended up running under the Republican Party. So when we uh, here in Minnesota decided to work the three the three minor parties at the time, it was Greens, Libertarians, and uh, at, and at the time we were the Independence Party. We decided to kind of work together a little bit more rather than to fight amongst ourselves to get. What we all can agree on done, okay. and so we were able to make these uh, inroads. Yeah,
1: oh. so, and Dan, I would say if, if if folks across the country, if they're looking to to work with their legislators, you know, Ben hit it on the head. You've got to develop those relationships. So you've got you've got the folks that you develop relationships with, and then on top of that, identify your legislators that that are mavericks in your state, that are willing to to buck the party, or, or in, this, in the case of uh, Senator Scott Jensen here in Minnesota, really a, a libertarian-esque uh, state senator, a libertarian-esque Republican, uh, but because he's got that libertarian philosophy behind him, he was very open to talking with the libertarian party. So, so find, find those folks that are mavericks, that'll buck the party, uh, in our case, the, the Alliance Party, that, you know, they're moderate, they're centrist, they're good government people, contact them, develop the relationships, and then and then move forward from there.
0: Okay, yeah. That's good, because I thought it would be more like an impenetrable brick wall, but um, I guess what you're saying is, you know, you, you, you don't uh, wait until they get to the uh, halls of Congress and approach them in the Hall of Congress, but you develop that relationship offline and— um, and just like I say, identify the mavericks and uh, build relationships with them. That's good. That's uh,
1: well. That and and Dan, if you have waited, if you have waited until they're already in office, because maybe you haven't identified the maverick uh, or, or the maverickness in them, uh, then start the relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but de- develop that before you really go go hog wild and asking them to do a whole lot
2: for you. Yeah. Yeah. The relationship has to be there before you can make the ask. 100%, um, you know, and, and relationships never hurt. You know, even if if it doesn't come out to be successful, uh, for that one thing, it may prove to be successful for something in the future. So it's always better to try and develop that relationship than to not. Yeah. And let me, if I could, Dan. I'm going to talk about our
1: our alliance that we've got going on, or a partnership with Common Cause. That's a a national organization.
0: Oh, absolutely, yeah. uh, As
1: well, and here in here in Minnesota, we're working with Common Cause on gerrymandering or anti-gerrymandering, and working on putting together an independent citizens' commission to uh, to do uh, district realignments after each census. Yeah. So I I know you'd you'd mentioned uh, gerrymandering in the in the lead up on the first question here, so yeah uh, that's another another avenue that we pursue pursue as well. and that's that's also developing relationships not only uh, uh, indirectly with legislators. you know the the coalition working it's a common cause us and five or six other organizations uh, in the state. you know, so we're working together and developing some of the relationships with legislators that way, but we're also developing relationships with the coalition partners uh, as we go along and try to move some of that legislation forward. And in our case, not only legislation, but a secondary track of of considering potentially a constitutional amendment to get that in place. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And I can't stress this whole gerrymandering thing more. I think it's a credibly important thing. And uh, I mean, you couched it in your original question as uh, an access barrier. Um, And I don't I don't see it as that. I see it mostly as just general fairness. Um, we we can't have the people in power deciding who gets to vote for them which is basically the system we got now i i don't believe that the founding fathers ever intended it to be able to be used in such a fine granular detail that we can use it now and we need to correct that uh, uh oversight yeah one of the other things though um that we're look, starting to look into the independence Alliance here in Minnesota. We just recently had a, a platform committee and we passed a plank, um, supporting a proportional representation in the Minnesota state house. And it is limited to just the Minnesota state house. Uh, it's a fairly open platform plank. Uh, it does not indicate what form that should take or anything like that, but it is, an intriguing new, well, maybe not new look, but for us it's kind of new look into uh, bringing a a more representative uh, voice into our state governance. I know that proportional representation tends to get a bad rap in the United States because we see it often around the world in parliamentary politics where it can cause some serious instabilities uh, within government. For example, Israel, who hasn't been able to have a successful uh, election for quite some time, I think it's almost a year now, mm-hmm. um, and and so, but in our system that we're supporting, we only want it in the, the House, the Senate, we, the, the State House to be specific, the Senate would remain the same, and if the State Senate doesn't have a majority one party, it doesn't crash the entire government like it would in a parliament, parliamentary system, my apologies, um, it's, it, it would actually, I think, cause a much more um, coalitions to try to get things together, which would create um, a more sane legislation, in my mm-hmm. opinion.
0: All right.
1: And you mentioned, Dan, you mentioned multi-winner districts. I know Illinois used to do this uh, for for several decades. They they had three member districts. So there'd be, I think for Congress, actually, so there'd be three, a district with three seats, and you could only vote for one. So that begins to get some proportionality uh, into the system. Uh, and I suppose even our platform plank would, uh, potentially lend itself to something like that. Absolutely. Uh, we left what the, an option. Yeah, we left the, we, we didn't get too specific on that. So there are a lot of, a lot of, uh, details, a lot of, uh, different ways to approach proportionality and to, to get more voices, uh, in, into the, into the system and being heard.
0: Oh, that's good. Yeah, I know that, uh, here in Missouri, we passed an amendment, uh, Amendment 1, which was, uh, to end gerrymandering, um. And that's uh, the idea there was to hire uh, the way that Missouri does it anyways. The way they plan on doing it anyways is to hire an independent demographer, they call them. And it's, uh, they basically are supposed to draw the, uh, the district lines in a so-called fair way. But uh, that, uh, it remains to be seen if that's going to be successful. There's been some legislators here that have been trying to um, sort of uh, – work that backwards a little bit, but uh, hopefully it'll be uh, successful here as well. It seems to be uh, taking place in a lot of other states as well. So uh, that's all good news for us, I believe.
2: Yeah, in Minnesota, it's been kind of interesting. The last couple decades, um, we've loved uh, split government. And so when it comes to redistricting, the, the legislature and the executive can never Uh, agree on a a map that will work, and it always ends up going to the courts. Uh, And whether that's the best place for it or not, they generally came out with a a middle ground map that doesn't overly support one party or the other. And so I guess in that respect, I would uh, tip my hat to the judicial branch for helping out in that respect, but I don't know if that is the best way to continue going forward.
0: Yeah, my understanding is that uh, the judicial branch hesitates to get involved in these things. So um, I know that uh, a lot of times, um, I think the U.S. Supreme Court was uh, supposed to take up or, or was proposed to have taken up some gerrymandering issues, and they push back on it
2: yeah they basically threw out most of them that came up to them um, mostly because they don't really want to get into the, the what they consider as a, a, a state province um, and it was in our instance the state uh, Supreme Court is the one that would take up the uh, the redistricting maps and they you know I mean they work with the a legislature and the executive to try to get them to uh come to some agreement so that they don't have to take it up, but in the end they're kind of the last resort and something has to be done so they they don't they don't shy away from it at least here. Um but they don't uh overplay their hand either.
0: Uh, that's a that's a difficult balance i tell you what, why don't we take Absolutely. a quick break right here. We've we've been talking with Philip Fuhrer, the chair of the Independence Alliance Party of Minnesota, as well as the Alliance Party state chair, and Ben Tomey, the state party director for the Independence Alliance Party of Minnesota. We'll be back right after a short
2: break. The two-party system that we've got is broken. The choices are awful. All we see is lies, cheating, deceit. You could say it about both parties. Neither one really stands for anything except acquiring and exercising power.
1: The idea was to give the power to the people or the people who've given the power away. And that's where the system broke. Government and our political system was designed to be malleable, you know, not rigid, not ossified, not always gridlocked.
2: Absolute power does corrupt, absolutely, and that's why the founders set the system up to avoid having concentrated power in the executive and in the national branch. The founding documents are the best. It's the best government
1: so far that we've come up with. Um, We're just not doing it.
2: You know, it's tribalism,
0: basically. If you're not on my tribe, then you're a bad person. You could say the sky is
2: blue and I'm going to say, no, it's green.
1: I think it's right out of a 1930s era playbook where if you can divide people, make them feel like something's being taken from them, probably pays well for them to make sure that everybody's divided because in essence, it keeps them in office, it keeps them in power, it keeps them employed.
0: The amount of money that's involved in politics, it
1: is crazy. That Obama's a smart guy, but not even he could. uh, He wasn't going to do it either. And I was like, okay, that's it. If he can't do it, it's not gonna happen because uh, that's when I knew that the uh, the lobbyists and the corporate interests, uh, the outside private interests that really have a hand in making sure that our political system doesn't work. Uh, I knew that they had one and I said, okay, third party is the way to go.
0: What I think we're trying to do here is is to make systemic change. Yeah, we need the right people, but there's not any one person, any one
1: charismatic personality. That's going to bring about the change that we so desperately need in this country. Our biggest goals are election reform. Knock down those barriers that have been
2: built in the ballot access game by the state governments. Fixing the dark money. Getting good health care out there. We need more women, we need more minorities, we need more occupations and backgrounds. We don't have set paradigms and beliefs. We just want to solve problems. So we're open books, we're data sensitive, we want data. We want to solve solutions that help the most people. Let's forget about where we disagree. Let's start with where do we agree.
1: Let facts be facts and let truth be truth and afford people the opportunity to go and find the information they need. We require term limits of all of our candidates. If you have more choices in competition, uh, just like any free market enterprise, competition is going to give you a better product.
2: Focus on innovation and really learning on a local level. Free press and educating people in an unbiased way. Protecting and and controlling the deficit. Respect and courtesy.
1: Honesty through transparency. Openness and transparency.
0: Transparency, I think that's incredibly important uh, in a number of areas, but especially in finances.
2: that voters can connect the dots. We want to leave this place in a better condition than we left it for the next generations, pure and simple. Not just my children, all our American kids. We need to educate every single individual in this country. So every individual has the tools they need to succeed in life.
1: Ultimately, that's what we're doing this for, what we can help the American people be, not what we say they have to be, what they want to be, and we'll get our party to that point.
2: We're supposed to help each other rise up, enlighten each other, and start by being civil and respecting other people's opinions.
1: There's nobody left. We have to do it. There's right and there's wrong. (laughs) Nobody owns it. You know, JFK, I believe, was quoted as saying something to the effect of we don't need to look for the Republican answer or the Democratic answer. We need to look for the correct answer. And that's the types of conversations we're not having
2: As a people, are we doing what we should be doing?
0: We're back. We're talking with Philip Feuer, the chair of the Independence Alliance Party of Minnesota, as well as the Alliance Party state chair, and Ben Tomey, the state party director for the Independence Alliance Party of Minnesota. And we've been talking a lot about gerrymandering and and mitigating some of the barriers for third-party candidates, but I'd like to uh, uh, talk a little bit about one of the one of the uh, I guess it's one of the principles of the Independence Alliance Party, or maybe one of the planks, uh, and that has to do with money in politics. So um, I'll direct this one to you, Phil. Uh, what is your approach to reducing, if not eliminating, the uh, influence of money in politics?
1: Well, we've got a a couple uh, items, Dan, in our platform. One is uh, overturning Citizens United. Uh, That was the uh, court decision that allowed for corporations and unions to be treated as people, uh, which allows them to give donations. And and we think that is a a bad decision, uh, so much so that it's worth amending the U.S. Constitution if we need to, to uh, get rid of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one area. Uh, the other thing with money, uh, we've got in our platform a support of uh, public campaign financing, and, and I think that is a fantastic way to begin to diminish the, the undue influence of, of money into politics. Uh, Arizona's got a, a system in place, Vermont, Maine, here in Minnesota, we've got the, a partial campaign financing system. And, and what that does, at least here for us here in Minnesota, a uh, couple of aspects to it. There's a, a tax checkoff piece, much like when folks do their uh, federal taxes. There's the presidential campaign fund that mm-hmm. you can put into, and, and all qualifying candidates can qualify for that um, if they're able to, to be successful enough. Here in Minnesota, we've got a $5 checkoff that you can direct towards a political party or to the general fund, which then gets uh, uh, divvied out to candidates and uh, the parties. We have what's called the Political Contribution Refund Program that allows each Minnesotan uh, to give $50 uh, as an individual or $100 as a married couple to qualifying parties or candidates that they want to give give to, and they can split that up if they want to and, and to get to their $50 or $100 threshold. Uh, and that is for qualifying candidates who agree to, or parties who agree to uh, spending limits, uh, uh, fundraising limits, uh, and other good government uh, practices. Um, and that's a, a great way to to get small donors into the system. Uh, nationally, whether you like him or not, uh, it, it's, if you've heard uh, Andrew Yang talk about his Democracy Dollars, mm-hmm. he's touting something similar nationally. I think he's looking at $100 per person uh, with his Democracy Dollars, but it's that idea that uh, let's get some small donors into the system. Let's get regular folks donating to campaigns. You hear from uh, you know Bernie Sanders. I think in 2016, $27 was the the mantra. And now he's got that down to an $18 average donation. Uh, Let's get get candidates and campaigns and politics fueled off of thousands, tens of thousands, a national campaign, millions of small donations, rather than, you know, on the other side of the aisle, we hear about the, the 40 billionaires uh funding a campaign. Right. Uh or or major ten thousand dollar donations. Things that for uh most of us you look at and go, you know, there's there's just no way I can compete with that uh as a donor. You know, I could give you fifty bucks, but I I can't give you ten thousand. Um so let let's try to blunt that a little bit and get folks feeling like they're able to to be part of the process. They become part of the process. And then get vested into that, and and feeling like they are uh, part of the process and worthy of being involved.
0: Well, I have uh, a little bit question about that. Um, just a technical question, really. When you talk about, uh, you know, this essentially public funding of of campaigns, um, would they would the would the candidates then be limited to that? In other words they're given X number of dollars and then they cannot exceed that. Is that the approach?
1: Yeah. Most, most obviously, you know, it depends on how you set the system up. Um, Most systems will have a maximum spending threshold, like it's put into place. So if you agree, if you agree to to receiving public funding, you also are agreeing to not spending more than X amount for your campaign. Okay. Now, uh, here in Minnesota, Uh, It's a partial public financing piece, so you do still have to go out and raise some of your own money, but you do get a nice chunk of money uh, that can come in. You talked about Jesse Ventura earlier. I think in total he had about a million dollars, maybe it was a million two, that he raised in his gubernatorial uh, race in 1998, uh, which he he was still uh, uh, a third to a fourth of what the the other uh, Republican and Democrat candidates had raised. But of that $400,000 or $450,000 came from the public finance system. Hmm. So you take his, his, his 1.2 and you knock that down to 800,000. Who knows if he would have had enough money to get his message out uh, and be victorious Uh, here in Minnesota too. What we do is if you're a first time candidate, you get a bit of a bonus. So you get a 10% bonus off the, off the limit. So whatever the limit is for a particular race, you get to add 10% to that. And the kicker here, one thing that I like in Minnesota, uh, is if candidates decide to to back away from the system and not not participate, but you decide that you will participate in it, not only do you get the partial public financing, but you're now no longer held to the spending limits because your, your Democratic opponents or your Republican opponent refused to participate in it. So you're you're absolved of, of those limits, yet you still get the benefit from the program. So hmm. it's a, that's a, a, a stick aspect to the carrot. You know, the okay. carrot is the, the donations that you or the, the public financing um, piece that comes in. The stick is if you're not going to participate, but your opponent will participate, then they get the carrot and you get the stick.
2: We should also not forget about PAC money, the dark money that comes in. Uh, you know, the money going directly to candidates. Uh, in the last decade, has been going down, and the pack money going to packs has been, has been going up, right. and that pretty much is a, a black hole. We don't know who's financing the packs very well. We don't know anything that goes out, and they can go out and and spend as for the most part as much as they can uh, and want. Um, mm-hmm with limited oversight in that respect. Obviously, there, there are some restrictions that they have to abide by. And our party here in Minnesota has had had some struggles with that because we, I, I, probably to a, a person in this party, oppose the idea of PACs and their in oversized influence on our democracy. But at the same point in time, when your opponents are taking that money, it's it's hard to hamstring ourselves uh, on our principles. And so, it's that question: you know, do we stand on the principle, or do we, you know, just you know go play play by the rules that are now, in hopes to change the rules? And so, you find that in our platform has gone back and forth whether or not we. Ban our, uh, our our candidates from use, uh, accepting PAC money or not. Right now, we currently allow them to, or at least use their discretion with it. But we do have some mitigating factors in that we, you know, want to make sure that they they aren't being mm-hmm. bought, if you will, by said facts.
0: Well, PACs. I, and my understanding of PACs, the po- political action committees, is that yeah, the candidates. Theoretically, don't have any control over them; that they operate on their own. Is that is? Did I get that right? Or is is that because I think as a candidate you wouldn't really have theoretically that much control over it, would you?
2: By law, that is absolutely correct. In practice, it's less so black and white. Yeah. Um, it's not too difficult to figure out what the candidate you support is going to be talking about. Um, that gets telegraphed in many different ways uh, to the general populace, and all you have to do is keep pounding that same message, and and you're technically not coordinating, but yet you're giving the same message. The effect is ultimately the same. So it's not so black and white it's it's uh, it's a fuzzy area yeah it and is and you, you need yeah. to begin Dan, to dif- differentiate
1: between independent expenditures and direct contributions so so PACs can give direct contributions they're, those are limited uh, but on the other side you still have folks saying that you know is that $5000 contribution what are you what are you buying for that or, or are you buying something are you buying access right uh, are you unduly influencing a candidate or a campaign candidates will always say that no that they're not um, but sometimes you got to wonder. Uh, but then, on, on, as Ben was saying, on the other side of the house is, is independent expenditures, and those are the, the unlimited, uh, quote-unquote, uncoordinated or non-coordinated expenditures. But sometimes you also wonder... Yeah. is there a little coordination going on there or not?
0: Yeah, and it's it's hard to prove one way or the other. There is an interesting website you can look at. It's called OpenSecrets.org, and I've uh, mentioned that before in this podcast. It's a, it's a place you can go where they have this, you know, basically a giant database that uh, at least shows you the traceable amount of money that uh, is going to the candidates from the individual lobbyists. I don't know if it tracks the PAC money, though, but... Um, it's pretty uh it's pretty illuminating sometimes to look at that website and then and, and you know you may have your favorite candidate out there and you look at that website and you may change your mind about you know what he or she is doing
1: out there It's a good resource yeah
0: yeah um just uh, we're we're gonna have to wrap this up pretty soon but i would really like to uh uh talk to you guys um and I'll start with you phil regarding um uh, well, I guess either one of you guys can just chime in because uh, you're both probably get, going to know this information. But uh, do you have any independent candidates uh, running for office that you can talk about at this point? Uh, that's running in 2020 this year.
1: Yeah, this this is Phil Dan. Uh, we have uh, a state senate candidate. I'll start the, I'll start a little lower here and work our way up. Actually, so I got a, I got we got a mayoral candidate out in a small town called Shorewood. We have a state Senate candidate we've identified that's uh, just getting underway here out in Western Minnesota, our New Ulm, Marshall, Minnesota area, District 16. His name is Josh Prine. Um, We have uh, in CD2, Congressional District 2, a gentleman named Bradley Svensson running. And that is uh, against the first term, uh, that's for US House. That's against the first-termer, Angie Craig. So she's not uh, not a well-established incumbent, and I think it's been a little milk toast in some ways. A lot of people think that, yeah, yeah. So uh, a good opportunity there. Uh, uh, Brad is a gregarious uh, X type personality, or, or A type. I'm sorry, A type personality's mm-hmm. got that X factor uh, in in a lot of ways.
2: Uh, a, a mini Jesse Ventura in some ways. I, I would agree with that. The the nice thing about Brad is that you you tend to leave his company happier than when you entered his company, which is kind of a fun thing when you meet people like that. Uh, you know, Jesse Ventura sometimes had a way of offending people um, or at least, or potentially even insulting them uh, where Brad, I do not feel has that strong of capacity when he's talking mm-hmm. yet. He can be draws you into a conversation. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So that's uh, a, a that's great really opportunity to have as TV a politician. Too.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. Uh, and in CD5, we've identified uh, or we have Chris Kelly running a 21-year, 20 I'm sorry, 27-year uh, retired U.S. Army, uh, Army Reserves and U.S. Army veteran, retired as a sergeant major, and uh, currently a Minneapolis police officer, 21 years on the force in Minneapolis, running in Congressional District 5, which may well end up being the most publicized congressional district
2: race in the country and that's against ilan omar
0: oh wow and
2: right now he is outperforming the republican uh candidate well candidates they haven't settled on one but uh, none of them are hold any strength this is pretty much mostly just um, the city of minneapolis as well as a few first tier suburbs into it so it has been deemed a democratic given for many years, but I think Chris has the potential to give Ilhan Omar a run for her money in this one. He there, There's such a, a strength of dignity in Chris that just in a lot of ways inspires you. And I think he's also a great example of the Minnesota uh, in, uh, Independence Alliance Party, because not him himself per se, but in that... We don't like to uh, have litmus, litmus tests in our party. We do want you to you know, abide by our principles, but we have a little bit of leeway. You don't have to abide by every last principle we have. So Chris, for example, tends to be a little bit more right of center. I wouldn't call him a right winger by any stretch of the imagination, mm-hmm. but he's a little bit right to the center. Um, I myself happen to be a little bit more left of center. And yet I can work with him on his campaign. I can support him. And I, I think that makes this party a, a special place Yeah, in that respect. But I'll let uh, Phil continue on with the other candidates that we can speak to.
1: Yeah, well, just to wrap up on Chris, uh, exciting candidates already raised more than $220,000 uh, in the race so far. We've still got uh, seven months here to go, eight months before the election or, or nine months before the election. So he's going to be competitive in that race. And then uh, in CD7, Western Minnesota, we've uh, uh, potentially identified another Army veteran to run out there. And for U.S. Senate, we think we've got a candidate lined up who is uh, the, the prototypical American dream story, Absolutely. I, I think you'd call it. Uh, an Ethiopian immigrant fled Ethiopia. Um, Literally under li- machine gun fire. Under machine gun fire uh, after the military takeover there uh, 40 years ago. Wow! And uh, came to uh, went to Rome first. Spent a few years in Rome while he was filling out paperwork to uh, become a uh, a refugee immigrant into the U- United States. Uh, came in at in New York.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, uh, said he saw the Statue of Liberty and fell to his knees and actually kissed the ground. Uh, and then over the last forty years here, has developed a couple of patents and uh, become an IT executive and, and doing quite well. So we've got him hopefully lined up here, and uh, we should be hearing more from him in, in the next four or five weeks here.
0: That is a really good success story. story. Yeah, yeah, that is an amazing story.
2: Uh, I mean you, you think about all the struggles you have in your life and, and and what it takes to get to you know where you have been, whether you're successful or not, and then you hear his story, and you you can't help but be inspired.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's very, very true. That's good. So any other candidates? That you can talk you know, about. Yeah, there's
1: a couple others that are maybe in the hopper, but uh we start getting into you know further into the uh less likelihood that they might run.
0: Yeah. Yeah, we so, don't wanna uh, I yeah, think
1: we're we're good there, but that. I will say our our stake convention is at the end of April. Uh we so we've still got a good uh six, seven weeks here. If somebody wants to step forward, contact us. We'll uh we'll start working with you. Wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um
0: Great. So um, I think we've uh, pretty much got to wrap this up. Anything else you guys want to say before we uh, call it uh, an evening?
1: Well, Dan, thanks for having us on. Uh, I want to definitely thank, thank you for, for having us on and, and talking to us. Uh, and for listeners out there, if you're interested, if you're getting involved in, in alternative or third-party politics, it's not an overnight thing. You've got to stay at it. So stay at it, do the work, and uh, reap the benefits.
0: Right. Well, I, I want to thank you guys. Uh, we've been talking to Philip Fuhrer, the chair of the Independence Alliance Party of Minnesota, as well as the Alliance Party state chair, and Ben Tomey, the state party director for the Independence Alliance Party of Minnesota. We've been having a really good conversation this evening, and uh, I want to thank both of you for stopping or for dropping in this evening and uh, spending some time with us. Thank you for having us. Thanks, Dan. Okay. And uh, thank you, everybody, for tuning in to the Alliance Party After Dark podcast. Please consider subscribing to this podcast so that you don't miss any episodes. Each week, we'll bring you interesting topics from the Alliance Party. You may subscribe on iTunes, Google, or Spotify. All content for this podcast is copyright the Alliance Party. Views expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of the Alliance Party. This podcast is a production of the Alliance Party a decades-long movement of fiscally conservative, moderate, accountable, and reasoned independents, former Democrats, former Republicans, and alienated voters who demand that our elected officials work in the spirit of nonpartisanship for all constituents and provide a better future for our country. This podcast was made possible by your donations to the Alliance Party. If you'd like to join the Alliance Party, visit our website at theallianceparty.com. Drop in and see what we're all about and get involved. Volunteer your time, make a donation, submit an article or blog, or run for office. We'd love to hear from you. I'm Dan Schaefer, producer of the Alliance Party After Dark, and on behalf of everyone at the Alliance Party, have a wonderful evening, a great week ahead, and we hope you drop in for our next show. Be safe and be aware.